Well, it is indeed good again to see you here today and to be able to have another Sunday with very nice weather. We're going to again pick up with our passage and our text and our study in the book of Timothy. Angela, it is good to see you here again today. You told me Thursday you would be here and you are here. I mean, you are a person of your word. That is good. <laughs> how, how many of you had a very good week this week? I just need to see if your week was really good. Now, how many of you had a bad week? <laughs> Some of you had a good, a good week and a bad week. How many of you forgot about the whole week? Just forgot about the whole week. How many of you forgot about the week? This going to get a whole brand new start for this coming week. <laughs> well, I want you to know something. There's not a day that's the same. If you are ever looking for the day to be the same, you'll never find a day exactly the same. It may seem like it, but it is not. I think what I'm going to do here, I may have to improvise here with my, the wind blowing. On tomorrow, I have to do a eulogy for Robert Small Sr. Many of you are familiar, know James Small and Stephen. They've lost their father on Monday. And they are having the service at the Tamil Pies Cemetery on tomorrow. And I told them that I was honored, would be honored to do the eulogy. And I said, so when James and I were talking on, I think it's about Tuesday, and he had said to me, um, we were going over the program. And then I thought at the end, he said, we would love to have you participate. I said, I would be more than willing to participate. And so before the phone in, I said, wait a minute, let me just make sure what participation <laughs> means. So I asked him now, exactly what are you wanting me to do? He said, oh, we want you to officiate the service. I said, well, I'm glad I asked, because I would have been coming there thinking, okay, what part do you want me to play? <laughs> I'll do a scripture. Um, so, no, I'll be doing the eulogy and officiating the service. And he said, we would have it no other way. I find it amazing how we, we look at people that have had a history with us here at the church. And many of them have come back home to be buried and to have a service. And I, I feel honored because many of them received and got their foundation right here at the Marin City Church of God, now called People's Intercities Fellowship. And so there's an honor. I tell you one day, there was, as I start, there was a very serious matter that happened to me, and some of you have told you this before. Years ago, when I first started preaching, they were doing the, the Good Friday services, and we were in San Anselmo. We were worshiping with a church there and all the pastors and ministers. And that year, my dad said, would you like to participate in one of the last seven words? I said, well, sure, I, I would participate. And for me, you know, you'll have a, a line in one of the last seven words. And your word is like, Father, forgive them. Sure, I'll, I can say that. So I had never been to, uh, participate, hadn't participated before. And so I get to the service in San Anselmo. 
And as I'm sitting there, the person in charge says, well, we want to welcome you all here, and we have seven speakers today. In my mind, my heart said, what do you mean seven speakers? And we will give each of them seven to ten minutes. I'm thinking, Father, forgive them it's not seven to ten minutes. That's like three seconds. My heart sank. I was expected to preach, and I had nothing to say. And I'm sitting next to my wife and said, oh, Lord, pray. Please pray. Start praying now. As I'm searching through the scriptures, I think I was like the third one up, and my heart was beating. <laughs> well, the Lord gave me something to say. I don't even remember what I said. All I know is that I was fearful because I thought I had a part in the play, and my line was, Father, forgive them. <laughs> I quickly learned what the seven last words really meant. <laughs> I was expected to preach. <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor, and he let me know that day that I was the joke. <laughs> In your Bibles, if you would again turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read verses 5 through 7. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through 7. I want to thank the crew that comes and sets up on the, in the mornings and breaks down on Sundays and gets things ready. We have our prayer group that does the prayer Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Then we have the pantry crew every day here. I tell you, as soon as I get a million dollars, I'm going to give you all some of that pantry crew. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. This is what it says. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The title of this message, even though we are still picking up from just last week, which we dealt with prayer, I've given this one message a different title, and it is, You Cannot Stand on Your Own Before God. You Cannot Stand on Your Own Before God. Jesus was not coerced or coerced. Um, in being the mediator between God and us, he was not coerced. He didn't have to be pushed into that role. The decision was made before Christ even came to earth. It was made before he even took on a body, which we call the incarnation. Means that Christ took on a body in the flesh, the incarnation. He lived in obedience to the laws of his God. And even before he had already decided that he was going to go to the cross to die for our sins and to rise from the dead. This was a decision that he himself fully participated in. Let me tell you this. You had nothing to do with it. You had no part in the decision that was 
already made before the foundations of the earth. Why would God even choose to do this? Because God's plan is sovereign. You, If you haven't realized, God does things quite different and differently than you and me. He doesn't need your opinion. He doesn't need mine. He was doing just fine before you came on the scene. And he chose to do things in this way. And we need to understand that God has a perfect plan. You cannot stand on your own before God. One point that we're going to deal with today is, why do I need a mediator? Why do I need a mediator? In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it reads as thus. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. People who want to make a name for themselves must elevate their accomplishments. When people write resumes, they embellish themselves. They make themselves look really good on paper. And what is on paper does not always match what comes into the office. You think, I am definitely dealing with two different people. With the elevation of accomplishments, it is with the intent to raise the status above others in such a way that recognition, that the recognition they desire will really catapult them ahead of everybody else. The Bible makes abundantly clear that there is only one God. And there is only one, listen to this, approved mediator. Between God and man. Only one approved. The Bible makes abundantly clear that God chose Jesus and Jesus chose himself to be the mediator. You didn't choose him. You couldn't choose him. You weren't here to choose him. A mediator in life is one who helps brings parties together. They bring the parties together where there is a dispute or where there is a problem. There has been a breach and there is an inability to reconcile the differences. What a mediator does, he, he is able to repair the breach so that the parties that are involved can be reconciled. The breach that has been caused in our relationship with God must be understood as being 100% our fault. We caused the breach. And the breach can only be completely restored 100% by God alone himself. I know that you would like to restore and try to, to make amends and do something with that breach, but you can't do it. The breach cannot be... Um, reconciled or brought together by you. So if God is the only one who can restore the breach, then the mediator has to have the credentials of being able to negotiate as God to God and be able to satisfy the requirement. So you need a mediator who's able to 
make amends and be accepted. You see, every mediator is not accepted and every mediator does not have credentials. You see, if you want a paycheck, you have to go to work. Help us, help us, help us. If you have retired, you have paid your dues. And for those who have the benefit and the blessings of being able to have a retirement, God bless you. Wonderful. But there are too many people who want rewards that have not put in the time nor the effort. You see, there is a mad push to try to categorize Jesus as less than God by many people. They want heaven, but they want heaven without Jesus. They want good things to happen to them, but they don't want God really to be involved in their affairs. They, they want to make heaven and they want to have rewards based on their own terms and based on their own merits. But I need to let you know there really is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. You see, if Christ is less than God... He then cannot satisfy the wrath of God because only God is perfectly good. And regard, and God requires there to be perfection. That means no sin. Paul in his statement makes clear that there is only one God and throughout the Bible God has proven himself as such as even other nations came to fear the God of the Jews and the God of all creation. Listen to this. When God decided that he was going to have a contest against other gods on a certain mountain with Elijah, there had been the prophets of Jezebel, Baal and I believe Ashtaroth, and they had, and I, I believe it was, 850 prophets that had come together and there was a contest that had been set in place that the God that answered the prayers and accepted the sacrifice, that that God who set it ablaze or set it on fire would be the God of all creation. That Therefore, that would be the God that we are to worship. And so the contest was that You go first and call to your God, and if that God answers by fire, then he's God. The Bible says that upon that mountain that those prophets began to cut themselves and to pray and fall down. And that happened all day long, but there was no answer. When it was time for the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, clear this stuff away. Rebuilt the altar. And to make matters worse, he then got some water, barrels and buckets of water, and drenched the sacrifice so that... The water was running out of the trench. And then he called on the name of his God. God himself sent the fire that not only consumed the sacrifice, but licked up all the water and the rocks that were there. Now I tell you this. Who wouldn't want to serve a God like this? (laughs) When God would move and God would do certain things, such as deliver his people out of Egypt and then take them through the Red Sea, when he would do this, other nations would hear about it and they would begin to say, there is no God like this God. 
of the Israelites and fear would seize and grip these individuals. Other nations came to understand and to know that what? There was only one true God. When we consider the problem that faced the church in Ephesus, they had decided to try to mix and to infiltrate the truth of God's word by stating and presenting that which was false and that which were lies. And as I've been telling you, it was Paul who told Timothy that you are to remain there and to bring about the correction that's needed. And as Paul is laying out the order, he is at this place now that he, he, he uh, states that there is only Timothy, one God, that's to be honored and worshipped, and there is only one mediator, and this God is the one that you are to preach and to teach, and in fact, it was this one God that commissioned me to preach to the Gentiles. Everybody that's outside of the Jewish nation. Everybody. He says, I'm the one that God commissioned. What's the problem? You see, back in the Garden of Eden, there was a breach in the relationship. Understand. When God told Adam and Eve, do not eat of the fruit, he didn't stutter. He didn't have to repeat himself. It was perfectly clear. Because he told them, the day that you eat of the fruit... There's going to be a breach in the relationship and you're going to die. I need to try to make this clear. It only took one sin to cause the breach in the relationship. One sin. When you tell your child, I will overlook that matter. Well, that is an impossibility with God when there was the breach. You see, when we talked last week and said God is a God of love, but also God is a holy God, that holiness talks about the judgment side of God that says whenever there's a breach, there has to be a price that's paid, a penalty that's satisfied. Get this. It wasn't a murder that caused God to say you will die. It was a matter of disobedience to not partaking of that which he said you're not to have. That alone caused such a breach that he says, the day that you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. It was Adam and Eve who represented humanity that broke the covenant relationship that God had established when he made people and would fellowship with them and say, you could have anything and everything in this garden enjoy, but that one tree do not Eat of the fruit. And what do people do? They don't look at everything else. They look at the very thing that they're not supposed to have and go after it. That one tree. You listen. Everything else you can have. There's no limitations. Just that one. Just, just that one. Don't eat it. Now some of you may be saying, well, why didn't God just remove the tree and not have it there? Because he gave you a will. God doesn't force people to love him. But what he does, he lavishes his love upon us. Now, now get this. In God's sovereign plan, knowing that Adam and Eve were going to blow it before eternity 
past or in eternity, he had already set a, a matter in place and said, Jesus, you be the mediator of the covenant to bring people back to me. The love of God allowed us to be born. He told them this is the judgment, my holiness, the judgment side. And then in his loving compassion, he says, this is the way that you can now be able to avoid my judgment side by what? Accepting the mediator. But, but get this, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. No one, nothing else can be put in the place of mediator. You see, as a result of what God did, God and only God, who is Christ, the God-man, could pay the penalty and satisfy the non-negotiable penalty of the transgression. The penalty of God in the Old Testament was death. Christ being the mediator brings now a new covenant of life and reconciliation to God. What was God doing? He said, I wanted you to be reconciled back to myself, but it has to be on my terms. And the only one that I'm accepting is Christ. <laughs> He's the only one that can satisfy my righteous anger. You see, there are people that have a problem when they talk about God's righteousness and God's judgment. When we consider this matter here, it's hard for people to think about and to recognize that God has such a side to where sin can't be tolerated in his presence. You see, if there was any other mediator that could satisfy God's wrath, then Moses and the other prophets, they themselves would have been able to do it. They would have been able to be the ones to be able to be the intercessors or the mediators to be able to satisfy God's wrath, but they weren't able to do it. God used them, but they were not the mediators. No angel could be the mediator. It is so fascinating to me that people seem to enjoy angels more than Christ. He created the angels. There are more people that talk about angels rather than Christ, and it's fascinating because the angels are the ones who do his will. Anyone who tries to reduce Christ to anything or anyone less than God has told God that he is a liar and that Christ is not the mediator between God and man that fully is able to satisfy God's wrath. The ransom came at the right time. God's timing is perfect, even though sometimes I think God is slow. I'll be waiting for God sometimes. I think, God, this is taking a long, long time. But God is always right on time. I, I tell you, I've told you this before. When we were doing Friday Night Live, I told you, I was at my wit's end one night. I told you. I decided I am quitting. Having 60 and 70 kids here not listening. <laughs> Climbing under the pews. Running up and down the stairs. We had, I said, I am done. I had made my decision that night. I am through. Friday Night Live wouldn't, well, it is gone. Brother George, they pack your bags. We are done. 
with Friday Night Live. These kids can find something else to do. So, on that evening when I had made my decision, we had finished cleaning up and I had just got through taking them all home. Inside the church, locking up, I went up to the pulpit and someone had brought a card to the church and it was given to me by Brother George. And it said, Pastor Marcus, I have enjoyed what you are doing with Friday Night Live with the kids. Keep up the good work. And there was a check inside. I said, oh, no, Lord, you are too much. And this is no joke. That note, that night, kept me from quitting. If I said her name, y'all would know her. (laughs) She's listening today. (laughs) I'm not kidding. That note, that night, was right on time because I had already decided I'm done. I'm done being the mediator between baby kids. I mean, some of these kids. <laughs> but that note came right at the right time. And I said, look at God who gave a word of encouragement at the right time, right when I needed it, because I had already decided I'm done. But the Lord says, no, you're not. That's just what God will do. He he moves in ways through people and he helps to reconcile and to bring things back together. And he has chosen Christ himself as the mediator to bridge a gap that could not be bridged by anybody else. When Paul says that I was a preacher and an apostle to the Gentiles... We need to understand in this part here, as I bring this message to a close in the next few minutes, that Paul says that I had been commissioned by God. And as my being commissioned and being commissioned, it was not done by man. And therefore, because I represent Paul, I represent Christ, Paul said, Timothy, you have the backing Not only of me, but you have the authority that's been invested in me as an apostle. And Paul says something very interesting that in some of your Bibles may be in quotes. I am not lying. I am telling the truth. Why was that inserted? Some of the theologians have different ideas and thoughts that I'm not going to go deep into right now. I'll just give you one. Because some people try to question if Paul was really the author of First uh, Timothy, they're trying to say that the person who wrote the book of Hebrews uh, possibly was the one who um, penned the book of First Timothy. Not so. Paul was one who said, I am not a liar. Why? Because there were the false teachers who were telling lies that Timothy, in fact, had to correct. He says, I'm not like one of them. I was commissioned, and listen to this, he was commissioned to preach and to teach the very message that Christ is the mediator (laughs) between God and man. In order to avoid God's judgment and his penalty, 
It required the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? Because in God's judgment, there has to be an acceptable sacrifice. And it was Christ who willingly himself said, I'll go. And he said, I will take upon myself the wrath of God as the mediator between God and man to pay the price that you and I only deserve to pay. He says, I'll pay that price. And because I'm the mediator, God will accept my sacrifice. And therefore, people now can be reconciled back to God. The breach that had been created has now been brought together by the death and the resurrection of Christ. So because he stands as the mediator, he's been the one to be able To pay the price and satisfy the righteous anger of God. That's why you and I don't have to go to hell. That's why we can say, Lord, the reason why we now can say I deserve or I can go to heaven is because I have accepted the mediator, Jesus Christ, as being the one that satisfies your anger. And I'm accepting what he's done. And now I can stand and say, because of that, I've been reconciled to the Almighty God. (laughs) One mediator, one God. You cannot stand on your own before God. So if you want to experience the reconciliation of the Almighty God, then you've got to accept the mediator. Only one, and that's Christ. May the Lord be honored. May the Lord be blessed. Let's give God a hand for his wonderful goodness, his wonderful love and grace. Today, Lord, we are grateful to you for your loving kindness. We're grateful to you for your wonderful mercy. We thank you right now that we have a great mediator where we don't have to stand before God on our own. But we can accept what Christ has done because he fully satisfies the wrath of God. Your wrath has been poured out on him and it has been accepted. Only one time did he have to die for our sins. Oh, my Savior. And yet the blood of Christ continues to be applied to our life. We thank you right now. We honor you right now and pray that you will help us to recognize and to realize that, oh, a great chasm. My Lord has been avoided and has been filled by Christ himself. We now have been brought close. We now have been brought near. We now have been brought into the very presence of God. And we can stand before the presence of God because the blood of Christ covers us. And Christ stands as a great mediator, making us right with the king. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Let me say this as we conclude and as you prepare to leave. We never know when we're going to leave this earth. Tell me about it. And because we don't know when we're going to leave this earth, it behooves us to make plans and preparations to meet him. So the way that we accept the Lord is simply say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I pray that you will forgive me and I accept you as my savior. That's it and began to live for him. 
can't pay for the salvation. You can't do enough. There's, no thing, there's nothing you can do to earn it. Why? Because it's a gift. His, his preciousness, his salvation is a gift. That's it. And that's how God shows his love. So keep that in mind.